Section 5A of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 5. The three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, who were all born about a hundred years before the flood, came and assisted their father in building the ark as soon as they were old enough. These three sons were, no doubt, produced, at least two of them, Ham and Japheth, with constitutions differing from each other, as much as they differed in appearance, with a strict reference to the changes the earth was to undergo by the effects of the universal deluge. The divine being knew that when the flood should come and destroy the earth by the violence and operations of the waters, that the climates would be greatly changed from what they had been from the creation. This effect was to be produced by the uncovering of vast regions of the subterraneous seas, which was done when the fountains of the great deep were broken up. See Genesis chapter 7 verse 11. For in proportion as the waters came up, the land went down, which would produce, when the waters should retire, on account of more of this element remaining exposed to the air than was the case before the flood, an unhealthy varying humidity over the whole earth. There can be no doubt, but the original beauty and arrangement of the countries of the globe have been greatly deranged by the rending currents of the overwhelming waters, the falling in of entire regions of the original surface, occasioned by the quivering of the earth, as doubtless it was shaken by the divine power for that very purpose. By this means the coverings of the great deep were removed, and went down to the bottom of the seas. Prior to the flood, it is our belief that the whole surface of the earth was so united by land as not to be separated by water, except mere rivers, small lakes, and streams, when both men and animals could and did pass without interruption quite around it. Instead of five oceans, which now nearly swallow up the whole earth, one-fourth only excepted, there was everywhere beautiful lakes, great and small rivers, both salt and fresh, with brooks and fountains, so arranged as to beautify and adorn the whole, as well as accommodate every species of animal existence in the most happy and convenient manner, making it the abode of men and nations, where sickness and death, even after the fall, could scarcely enter, except by violence. One half of the primitive earth's surface was water, and the other half land. But the two elements were so mingled and arranged as that the exaltations, by the action of the sun's rays, produced a happy and an equal humidity of rains and dews, thus securing an equilibrium of temperature, health, and the growth of all things suitable for food, within the Arctic and the Antarctic circles. But when the flood came, it tore by its currents, shook and dissolved the beautiful earth to a mass of entire chaos, 
as it was when it was first created, and before the water and the earthy matter were separated, by the divine power primevally. Many regions of the ancient earth, where dwelt the first nations, between Adam and the flood, now lie buried beneath the weltering waves of seas and oceans. This change of the ancient surface from land to a disproportionate quantum of water produced, as already said, an entire alteration of the primitive climates, causing a corresponding revolution in the products of the earth, on which men and animals were to subsist, unfavorable to health and long life, thus aiding in the abridgment of the age of man from five, six, seven, eight, and even nine hundred years, down to the pitiful amount of three score years and ten, or a little more, as it sometimes happens. On this very account, the change of the earth's first climates from a steady, even temperament, to those of a more changeable character, impregnated with fiery air in one region, and cold, damp fogs in another, the fumes of stagnant morasses and waters, with pestilential winds commingling and pouring their death-dealing influences over almost every country, God saw proper, in view of all this, to produce two new races of men, who were adapted from their formation, size, color, and constitutions, to this new state of things, which was to take place by means of the flood. If such was not the reason for the divine procedure, in producing the two new races, then it is hidden from mortal research and belongs to the unrevealed history of the councils of heaven, or, at any rate, it is hidden from the penetration of the writer. From the account in the book of Genesis, we find that the sons of Noah had taken them wives, but a little before the flood, as we learn they had no children till after they had made the voyage of that shoreless ocean, and the ark had rested on the mountain Ararat, in Armenia of Asia Minor. The wives they married, as to blood and complexion, were the same with all the antediluvians, red or copper-colored women, as there were no others to marry. Japheth, being a blue-eyed white man, and Ham, a woolly-headed black-eyed black man, their children, of necessity, would be of a mixed character in some cases, and in others there would be the likeness sometimes of one parent, and sometimes the likeness of the other. Had the wife of Ham been as black and woolly-headed as he was himself, then their race would have been without any marked variation, always woolly-headed, both male and female forever as nature, without the intervention of a miracle, does not leap out of her courses in any of God's works. But as in the race of the white man, there are found black-eyed and black-headed individuals, with what is called a dark complexion. Even in white families, we believe that this is the result of the blood of Japheth's wife, who was copper-colored, 
being mixed with his, who was a blue-eyed white man. The same is the effect now, when the whites mix with the Indians, or the Arabs, Hindus, or the people of the East Indies, some of the offspring have fair and white complexions, with light blue eyes and auburn hair, as well as often white and even red hair, while others are much darker, with jet-colored hair, and eyes of the same description. In process of time, the influence of the male blood of the white man will run out entirely the influence of the female blood as to complexion. If no further mixing takes place, there remaining no trace of it, except in the hair and the eyes, which is known to be true. The same rule operates in the case of the Negro man, when his blood is mixed with Indian blood. The power of the male overcomes and runs out the female, in relation to her color, causing the offspring to become thoroughly Negro, if there is no further mixing as to complexion, while the hair and contour of the face will continue to be in imitation of the mother in many instances, but in many more it will be like the father. This is also known to be true. This, in our opinion, was the way the marriage of Ham with the antediluvian girl operated, and thus in the first ages, and as is now the case, there was produced the woolly-headed and the straight-haired negro, such as were some of the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, the Libyans, and the Canaanites, with the Carthaginians, and many of the Africans at the present time, but all pure negroes. From this fact, there can scarcely be a doubt that the early nations took advantage of this trait of nature's operations by mixing the blood of such males and females, as had not the woolly head, together on account of their being far more comely to look upon, avoiding wholly, or generally, the negroes of the other description, which was perfectly natural and even commendable. In this way there was produced, and ever has been, two races of black or negro men. The straight-haired negro has ever been found to be more intellectual, enterprising, and comely to look upon than the other race, who from earliest time have been made slaves of. The woolly heads have always, as a people, been less inclined to improvement, either physically or mentally. By this means, it is seen that the two races had early a mighty barrier placed between them, so that when a woolly head married with a straight-haired black person, it was held as great a disgrace for the straight-haired one as it is now, when the whites amalgamate with the blacks. This race of Negroes are found to have heads shaped more after the Caucasian or European model, which was derived from the blood of Ham's antediluvian wife, while the other race of Negroes, having from affinity of looks, feelings, propensities, and moral abilities, clave to each other in marriage or sexual union, they have therefore propagated and perfected a progeny like themselves, wholly inferior to all the other people of the human race, 
who were never the authors of anything great on the earth, no, not even as imitators of others, except now and then an individual. With this view, we see how it has happened that when an Egyptian mummy is found, who represents the leading class of those ages in that country, they have almost always straight hair, which circumstance has puzzled physiologists and the antiquary not a little. This fact, however, changes not their character as to their origin, for they are truly the descendants of Ham, as are the other sort of Negroes, but simply accounts for acts done by the race, which seem above themselves, if they were nothing more nor better, intellectually, than the woolly heads are at the present day. Neither does it change their condition, in relation to the purposes of the divine providence respecting them, as they are referred to by direct prophecy, in a very particular manner, as we shall soon be compelled to show. Thus we have made a few remarks on the subject of the wives of Ham and Japheth, because we have often heard the inquiry made, who did Ham marry for a wife, if he was the first and only black person on the earth when he took him a wife, and brought her through the flood in the ark? Thus we have passed through, in a brief manner, several interesting topics. But we are now compelled to approach another subject, which, to many minds at the present day, is a stumbling-block of no small magnitude. And this is the awful curse of the holy and righteous Noah, the patriarchal prophet of God, the only person who was found to be righteous of all the antediluvian race living in his time. See Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. Noah was born but 178 years after the death of Adam, whose father was the patriarch Lamech, born 182 years before Adam's death there being but one intermediate patriarch between Noah and Adam. Of necessity, therefore, how intimate must the mind of Noah have been with all that appertained to the knowledge of God and his providences from the beginning till his own time, and how capable he must have been of instructing his own house in true knowledge as well as the arts after the flood as he lived three hundred fifty years after that event. It was from the lips of this man that the everlasting God chose to announce the curse or malediction of servitude and slavery upon Ham and his race. As it is written, Genesis chapter 9, verses 25, 26, and 27. The reason of this terrible malediction of Noah upon his son Ham should be carefully sought after, or we may be led to accuse ere we may be aware of it. Such a proceeding as being captious and unjust, which would be a lamentable circumstance to discover in the character of a man, who is named in scripture as one among five of the holiest of the prophets, namely, Daniel, Job, Moses, Samuel, and Noah. See Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 14 and Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 1. And the holiest man upon the earth 
just prior to the flood it appears from scripture that immediately after the subsiding of the waters of the deluge and the ark had grounded on a small flat or space of land between the fingers of mount ararat which fingers or points commence to divide at an altitude of about three miles above the common level of the earth at the base of the mountain we say it appears that noah as soon as the country had become drained of the waters descended from the great ship of the flood down the mountain to the more level grounds of the country on the side he went down the mountain slopes off from the flat above named in a gradual manner till lost in the country beyond while on all the other sides it is a horrible series of ledges perpendicular cliffs and benches of everlasting stones and rocks going up from the base of the mountains to the extreme points of the fingers above spoken of to the prodigious height of five and a half miles where they are covered with unmelted snows of all ages since the flood end of section five a